Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer and this is episode 124. Update. Now, last week was not a good work week. <laughs> it was a really long, grueling, annoying, aggravating, frustrating work week. We had uh, several days with um, trainings that were all done online through a program called Blackboard, which is just basically a virtual learning environment. Um, six hours long for most of last week. Uh, another training where they read to us the slide deck of the PowerPoint presentation. So, um, yeah, it was uh, a difficult week and a lot of information, all of which, you know, by the end of the week was just kind of swimming around in my head. Um, I tried to take some time today and kind of go over the information again, the handouts, but it's a lot and I have to take a test <laughs> tomorrow. So I'm going to try to cram in more studying in the morning and, and hopefully I do well on the test. But I've talked about this before. These trainings are just so difficult for me to get through. I mean, I, 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 I'm so grateful that I work from home because I actually think it would be a lot worse if I was sitting in a real classroom for six hours a day, you know, it's just, like I said, it's just hours and hours of having a presentation read to us. If not for the other women in my cohort, you know, and, and, and our group chat, there is no way I, I would have made it through that training last week. I mean, being able to express our frustration, confusion, boredom, you know, or just, you know, randomly crack a joke in the middle of the day, it just made things so much better. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I will be forever grateful for these women. If I make it through to the end of this training, which is in October, it will be in no small part because of these women and how we have supported each other. I I can't say it enough. I am so grateful for them. I mean, not not just for, you know, last week's training, but just everything that they've done along the way. It's, they're the only thing that have made this experience bearable. <laughs> TV podcast recommendations. No new podcasts again this week. I do have some queued up that I have to listen to. Um, if once I listen to them, if they're any good, <laughs> I'll let you know. But I, I don't have anything yet. I did watch a new show on Hulu called Tiny Beautiful Things. It's based on a book by the same name, and it stars Katherine Hahn as Claire Pierce. Claire's life seems to be spinning out of control. Her marriage is falling apart. She's on the verge of losing her job, and she has never really dealt with the death of her mother, played by Merritt Weaver. Oh, you may think that you don't know who Merritt Weaver, Weaver is, but you probably do. Look her up. Like, I'm sure, like, she's one of those people that you don't know the name, but as soon as you saw her face, you would say, oh, I've seen her in things. And I promise you, if you have seen her in something, you know she is good in everything she's in. Like, whether you know her from Nurse Jackie or from um, the end, uh, I think it was a Netflix limited series called Unbelievable, where she played a detective. 
She's so good. I love her. At a time when Claire's life is at its lowest point, a friend approaches her about taking over an advice column called Dear Sugar. At first, Claire resists, thinking she is the last person who should be giving anyone advice on anything, but eventually she relents. And as she starts to answer these letters, it starts to bring up all of her stuff, you know, to all, all of her like past choices, everything that's currently going on with her. I really liked it. It, it. Right now, it is a limited series, which means there won't be a season two. But I, I kind of hope that isn't the case because there were some unanswered questions. And I know not every book answers, you know, everything kind of ties it up in a neat bow. But there is enough unanswered questions, in my opinion, at least, to consider a season two. All eight episodes are out now. I really liked this one. It is sweet. It's funny. It's sad. It's it's just good. But to be honest, I might be a little biased here because I would have watched it and probably loved it just based on Katherine Hahn and Merritt Weaver alone because I like them both a lot. Anyone can watch this and love it, but I think it will probably resonate most with mothers and daughters. It was, it was really good. And season two of my favorite show, one of my favorite shows, uh, this one is on Apple TV. It's called Schmigadoon, <laughs> like Brigadoon. Uh, I think I talked about season one last year because I really liked it. It was so different from anything on TV, it still is so different from anything on TV. And that's always kind of a um, something that attracts me. You know, I'll at least try it. It stars Cecily Strong and Keegan-Michael Key as Melissa and Josh. In season one, Strong and Key play a couple whose relationship is a little bit rocky. And while out on a hike together one day, they end up getting lost and they cross a bridge into a musical town called Schmigadoon. <laughs> Season one was about them finding their true love in order to cross the bridge from Schmigadoon back into the real world. Now, if you are a musical fan, you'll recognize pretty much all of the references in, that they used in season one. So it's mostly uh, 1950s musicals like, of course, Brigadoon, but also Carousel, Oklahoma, Guys and Dolls. It's That's, for me, part of the fun is to see how many references I recognize because you guys know I love musicals. Season two just came out a couple of days ago. This one starts off with Melissa and Josh having made it back to reality only to see their relationship turning stale again. So they decide to try to find Schmigadoon again, but instead they stumble upon another place, this one called Schmicago. <laughs> this season seems to be focusing more on the musicals of the 60s and 70s, definitely Chicago, obviously. But you will recognize Hair and Cabaret and Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, oh, gosh, I can't even think of any others. But it, it's really, I'm only two episodes in. It's really good. I like season two even better than I liked season one. And, and like I said, I am a fan of musicals. So, of course, I love it. 
but I almost think you don't have to be. It It's a fun, funny show with an amazing cast, like a, a lot of Broadway, you know, stars like Christian Chenoweth and Alan Cummings and Jane Krakowski and Ariana DeBose, who are all really good in this. There's also some um, cameos by Martin Short. Uh, oh, Dove Cameron plays one of the leads. She was in season one. She has come back for season two. She's so good. I did not know her before this series. I think she might have been on a Disney series as a kid, but I, I'm, I'm not positive on that. Man, she's amazing. She's so talented. But the best part of season two <laughs> is that they have added Titus Burgess. And if you don't know who he is, he was the best friend slash neighbor on The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And in my opinion, the best part of that show. I love him. And he is really good in, in this show as well. He plays the narrator. And he's funny. And, you know, of course, um, Keegan-Michael Key is very funny. If you have Apple TV and you are a fan of musicals, maybe even if you're not, I think you will like this. Um, if you don't have Apple TV, it's $5 a month. It's worth the purchase. Not, you know, maybe this isn't your thing, but Ted Lasso, Severance, the shows that I've been talking about, like Shrinking and uh, Dear Edward. There's some great movies that are exclusive to Apple TV. That is $5 well spent. Like, if you're kind of getting like me, and maybe you're not watching Netflix as much, and you're kind of having a hard time justifying paying for the subscription, go off Netflix for a few months and get Apple TV for a few months instead. Save yourself some money and watch some really good programming. And I also started the final season of Succession on HBO. I love this show. I have loved it from the beginning. I was I was a slow starter here. I think I I hopped on the uh, Succession band, bandwagon in season two. So I had to go back and watch one and then catch up. It's so good. <laughs> I love a show where um, like everybody is awful. You know, there's really nobody to root for. So when bad things happen, you don't feel so bad because they're all kind of awful anyway. The entire cast is great. But if you watch this just for Kieran Culkin, you won't be disappointed. It, his, his character is ridiculous. Like some of the things he says are so shocking. All you can do is laugh. <laughs> all right. Now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So the other day, Facebook memories reminded me of a post I was tagged in from 10 years ago. In the post, it said women named Jennifer made them nervous because there were too many different versions of the name and they never knew which one to choose. At the time, I responded to the post saying, well, I introduced myself as Jennifer but most people call me Jen, and a select few get to call me Jenny. Later on, after seeing that memory, I was thinking about that post and my response to it, and I realized that I hadn't fully answered their question. Because yes, it's true. I go by Jennifer, Jen, or Jenny. You guys may notice in the beginning of the podcast every week, I introduce myself as Jennifer. But it's Jennifer with 
two N's and an I. Jen either can have one N or two. And Jenny is with a Y, never Jenny with an I-E. And God forbid, don't even think about addressing me as Jenny with an I with a little heart over it. As an adult, I was also a little confused when someone would ask me to clarify the spelling of my name. Like, what? What do you mean? It's Jennifer. <laughs> There's only one way to spell it. But I was wrong. There are actually several different ways to spell it. The traditional way, and of course the way I spell it, J-E-N-N-I-F-E-R. But you can replace the J with a G. You can also leave out one of the N's and change the I to a Y. Or if you're feeling particularly zany, you can change the F to a PH. Imagine growing up with a name like Jennifer, but it's spelled G-E-N-Y-P-H-E-R. <laughs> I mean, that poor child is never going to be able to find a personalized keychain at Claire's. Now, Shakespeare's Romeo said, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. But I disagree. Jenny with an I and Jenny with a Y are not the same person, and neither are a Jennifer. My parents chose my name not just because it was popular at the time, and it wasn't a family name either. They chose it based on a character on TV. There used to be a show that only ran for one season from 1969 to 1970. It was called The Governor and J.J., it was about a state governor whose wife died and his teenage daughter, JJ, takes on the role and responsibilities as the state's first lady. Now, at the time, when my mom was pregnant for me, sisters one and two were apparently big fans of the show and they wanted me to be named JJ. So my parents chose Jennifer Joyce. And you know what? I don't remember a single time that either one of those sisters called me JJ. But I have to wonder, would I have become a different person if I had been raised as JJ? Maybe I would have had better hand-eye coordination and been really good at sports. Or maybe I would have been a plucky little Weisenheimer and constantly sharing my clever and hilarious takes on the world. Today, JJ is the nickname I've given to one of the most important people in my life. For a large part of my life, I would only allow certain people to call me Jenny, basically just my parents. As I got older, the circle broadened, but just a little. My nieces and nephews will sometimes call me Jenny. My oldest niece will almost always call me Jenny. But that name was specifically reserved for my dad. If anyone other than that small group of people called me Jenny, I had no problem correcting them, especially upon first meeting them. I wanted to set that record straight from the beginning if they were not allowed to call me that. I mean, how dare they assume that level of familiarity with me? But since my dad died, since his passing, I've eased on that a bit. I mean, now if I'm meeting someone for the first time and they accidentally or on purpose choose to call me Jenny, I don't mind as much because now it feels like a little, you know, random hello from dad. But to this day, I never introduce myself to anyone as Jenny with an I or Y. Even a name as simple as Catherine can have several different versions and spellings, and that doesn't even count the different nicknames associated with. 
it. Are you a, a Kathy or a Kate? Because those are two very different people. Your name becomes your identity. It's what people call you, what you respond to, and it's what you understand yourself to be. My nephew, he was given a nickname when he was born. Now, as a fully formed grown adult, the family still refers to him by that nickname. And we don't just call him that nickname. We actually have even adapted an even shorter version of the nickname. But I'm pretty sure he doesn't introduce himself to anyone in his adult life using the family nickname. But no matter how old he gets, he's always going to be that nickname to me. So much so that sometimes I forget that his nickname isn't his actual birth-given name. I can't imagine calling him anything else. There's a lot of significance in a name, and having an identity tied to you and your name is important. It's tied to our self-worth, and it's how we see ourselves and how we want the world to see us. And in case you think that a name isn't all that important, remember when Ricky Schroeder insisted that the world start calling him Rick? He grew up. He didn't want to continue to be thought of as that cute little kid from Silver Spoons. And an even better example is Sean Combs, a.k.a. Diddy, P. Diddy, Puff Daddy, or Bad Boy. He changed his name or identity to associate it with the different aspects of his life. He was a rapper, a producer, a clothing designer, and each aspect had its own name and identity. When I was younger, I always thought that if I ever had a son, I would name him Jack. Because the idea of a two-year-old running around with the name Jack was almost too adorable to bear. The only thing that would have made him even more adorable is if he also wore glasses and somehow had a British accent. I remember telling someone that I wanted to name my son Jack, and they asked if that would be a nickname. You know, would his actual name be John or Jonathan and then shortened to Jack? And if it was just Jack, just Jack, would his nickname be Jackie? Uh, no, Jackie would not be tolerated. And if, as his mother, I disallowed Jackie, would I somehow be limiting his personality? It's a lot to think about. I found an article on Medium.com where the author talked about her unusual name, both the spelling and the pronunciation, and how her entire life she has had to correct people whenever they say her name wrong. Now, while her name is unique sounding, if you actually saw it in print, it's not that hard to pronounce. It's Kyla, K-Y-L-A. It's a beautiful Gaelic name, which means triumphant. Still, the author says her entire life, she has been called Kayla, Kyle, Kylie. She says it especially stings if someone calls her the wrong name and she's already met that person. She interprets that as not being important enough to remember. The author asks the questions, what does your name mean to you as you search for your sense of self? How do others interpret it? And what signal does it send to the world? I think it's especially hard in this, you know, homogenized Western world to have a name that may be, you know, sound different or maybe exotic. You know, my my mom was not born in the U.S. and her name is very unique, as is my eldest sister's. 
Both names are beautiful, but I imagine they have spent their lives correcting people on the pronunciation and spelling of their names. Other cultures around the world have specific rules when it comes to naming their children. In China, for example, names are comprised of last name first, followed by a first name, which often represents the future expectations of the child. I found another article. This one was written by Yi Jin Lee, where she talked about growing up in the U.S. with a Korean name and how often people struggled with her name. One even having the gall to ask if she had, quote, an American version of her name. Lee said that it made her feel unwelcome or separate from a country and culture in which she was actually raised. There's a reason why saying someone's name is known as an important basic sales tool. It's because it creates a connection. Another article I found, this one was on Exo Insight. It said that recent studies found that our names have the potential to influence our behavior, our physical appearance, our career path, and even our life choices. The article says that if your name affects how people treat you and how you view yourself. It cited a study called First Name Desirability and Adjustment, which was first published in July 2006. The study found that among those who participated in the study, those who disliked their name tended to have poor psychological adjustment due to a lack of self-confidence and self-esteem. Another study, this one conducted in Germany in 2011, found that having a name that sounds unfashionable is most likely affecting a potential date. Finding that with high probabilities, the person would be rejected compared to others with a more modern or trending sounding name, leading to a negative consequence of developing low self-esteem and overall less education. The study also found that names that could be considered unisex had essentially the same results. And listen, I'm guilty of name prejudice too. If I am ever, God forbid, knock on wood, in need of a good lawyer, I'm probably not going to choose one named Candy. But if you're still in agreement with Shakespeare that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, let's try a little test. Close your eyes. I'll say a name, and I want you to focus on the image that name creates in your mind. Ready? Eric. Maria. Ruth. Ian. Stephanie. Agnes. Six imagined people, all very different, just based on hearing their name. As a kid, having an uncommon name may feel like a bit of a burden. Jennifer was the number one name each year of the early to mid-70s, so I often was one of many in any given group of females my age. But I remember in third grade having a classmate whose name was Uriah, and he was every bit as kind and as beautiful as his name sounds. As an eight-year-old, I didn't know the origin of his name. Was it a family name? Was it chosen because of its biblical roots? It never occurred to me that its uniqueness might be a burden. But one thing I'm sure of, as an adult named Uriah, you will stand out. I found another study done 
This one was done by the Beijing Institute of Psychology, and it found that rarer names were associated with a higher probability of pursuing an unusual career path. And having a unique or rare name was often related to higher creativity and an open mindset. Uriah, he ended up going to another school after third grade, but something tells me he went on to do great things. Like Ricky Schroeder, some of us may choose to transition into a more adult version of our names as we age or choose our profession. Susie may become Susan. Tommy becomes Tom or Thomas. I don't ever remember, even at a young age, telling anyone my name was anything other than Jennifer. Which makes me wonder about how I saw myself as a child. Did I want to be taken more seriously? Or maybe as the youngest of four, I wanted to be seen as more grown up and mature than I actually was. Jenny is a child, somewhat insignificant, easily dismissed. But Jennifer, she has something to contribute and she will not be ignored. Still need convincing on the significance of a name? Consider if Gordon Sumner or Paul Hewson could have ever achieved what they did if they hadn't changed their names to Sting and Bono. If a name is just a name, why do we feel slighted if someone makes fun of it or mispronounces it? I mean, so after 52 years of living with my name, who do I think I am? Well, I'm probably a combination of all of the versions of my name, only some of which I share publicly. Will I ever allow the world to view me as a Jenny with an I or a Y? Probably not. But will I correct them if that's who they see when they get to know me? Also, probably not. All right, guys, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 124. Don't forget, join the Facebook group and like the Facebook page, both called My So-Called Midlife Podcast. Follow me on Instagram at JennyJoy316. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. You guys know you can email me if you have questions, if you have topic suggestions at my so-called midlife podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time. Love you. Bye. Mm-hmm.